The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. It's Darren Carp. Wow, what a weird sing-songy way to start the show. Sorry, that really took me off. I was like, what the fuck? And you're Liz Cully, but I always start a podcast off singing because I just feel like it hits the right note in so many, so many ways. Okay. In fact, our guest today, I think, is going to hit all the right notes, and I'm so excited about it because she's... Well, we're going to let her clarify, but for the record, we're going to say the fiancé of Buck Angel, uh, who we recently had on our podcast, who was... Our trampa. uh, He's our trampa. He's my husband now. He's my wife. He's everything to me. (laughs) He's just my spirit animal in so many ways. But let me properly introduce Rachel Mason. Okay, here we go. Rachel Mason was born in Los Angeles, California to parents Karen and Barry. And her mother was initially a journalist and her father worked as a special effects engineer in the film industry, which is so fucking cool. But when her parents got into financial difficulties in the mid 70s, they got jobs distributing porn magnet Larry Flint's Hustler magazine, as well as gay porn publications. Now, in 82, Mason's parents took over the gay porn bookshop, Circus of Books, in Los Angeles without telling their children what they did for a living. And they also produced gay porn videos starring Jeff Stryker. So Mason actually recently came out with a documentary feature film, Circus of Books, and that was acquired by Netflix. Liz, you've seen it. It is on my queue. And it was actually executive produced by Ryan Murphy, and it's based on the historic gay landmark, Circus of Books, a book and magazine store that her parents ran from 82 to 2019. Hold on, and I'm going to add some other things that I read about Rachel. Yeah, go for it. You Well, actually, Buck sent me your music video, which I loved for the film, oh. which I saw, which you did with one of my favorites, Peaches. Yeah. Which, like, dead. You mm-hmm. also are a sculptor. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, of course on, she is. She's everything. You're so a performance artist, sculptor. I would assume maybe a photographer as well, mm. given what you've done in film. Yeah. I don't know. I'm now I'm assuming she's oh. she has an MFA from Yale. Casual um, <laughs> mother, friend, lover, fiance, Rachel Mason. Thank you for coming on the show. What did thank we you. miss? Yeah. What did we miss? Um, like, wow. We, that was, we don't have your social security number. <laughs> that was yeah. You, I, I could give you that now because that was pretty much the only thing um, not covered right now. I, I don't know what else I can add to even, you know, follow that up. But um, except that you guys have the greatest like delivery ever. I, I could just sit here and listen to you introduce anything. Um, that's so cool. Yeah. Just like introduce stuff. (laughs) It was really great. Darren. Well, Darren is, um, going to be, you don't know this yet, Rachel, but she will be one of the largest game show hosts in the world at one. That is her dream. Okay. My dream is I just want a talk show again because I've had them in the past and I want one again, but I'm also thrilled to have one with my darling, so Darren. we'll announce and talk your head off. So all yeah, day we'll long talk about shit all day. Um, we're, we're really lucky to have you. And like yes. we said, so you're just to clarify yeah. the wife or the fiance <laughs> of Buck Angel. You know, what's so we funny. Um, I always fall on my face, figuring out how to call me anything. Cause I'm, I'm so not used to being in a, a relationship with anyone. I was going to be like a, a cat lady until I died. And then I met Buck and I was like, Nothing oh, wrong with wow. that. 
oh, wow, okay, so this is, like, actually working. That wasn't supposed to be part of my life anymore. You know, people are too complicated. <laughs> now, so, so for, for um, I like the word lover because that kind of gives me freedom to just, you know, and it's a gay word, which I love, I love and it's, you know, but then um, we're like, oh, yeah, but it's, it's legit. We want to actually, like, tie the knot and, um, you know, just, it was so funny. So it's funny, like, the words of marriage have been, like, presented to me and I'm I'm catching up to it actually just last week we were at Jill Soloway's house and Jill was like what do you think about getting married right here in my backyard and I was like oh my god okay it's it, I guess this is all destined to happen but um I feel I feel like I'm catching up to the reality of of what a you know a relationship we are but you know one thing I will say about the relationship is that it feels like really like the universe wanted us to join like giant forces of nature have like converged to make this happen because we have so many alignments and in a weird way we could have met through a million different people over the years but we met like exactly when we met at the premiere like the biggest gayest event that my film had which was the premiere of Outfest and I invited Buck because I just thought, you know, uh, duh, of course I need to invite Buck Angel. He's one of the most important right. people in the history of gay porn who's alive, who can talk about it. And he contributed to a really cool little zine that a friend of mine made. So um, he wrote this beautiful post just about what the store meant to him. So I thought, wow, you know, I really would love to invite you to the opening of Outfest. And um, in a way, that was our first date. <laughs> um, oh but it was just so wild because, um, you know, we we have alignments that kind of interconnect us because I I feel like I've been, become an advocate for the people that work in the sex industry almost like almost because I was sort of born into it accidentally, but I also was always, you know, mildly obsessed with it without actually having my own personal connection to it on that deep level until I met Buck. And then, you know, he's introduced me to what it's really like to live as the person who actually had this job, who worked in this job, who, you know, my parents were always like, oh, okay, it's over there. We don't really touch it. It's like all these people that we know. Yes, we know them. But you, you saw in the film, there's this kind of like, you know, they were the owners of the store that sold the material and, and Buck is the material that they sold. And the interesting thing though, is that he came out of the era that followed this, the demise of their store. So he's much more of a digital artist or digital performer um he knows how to use the internet he knows how to connect with people and so that's sort of like you know he exists in trampa land with all these people that love to communicate with him and many of the older generation porn stars know nothing of how to do that so he's much more of a contemporary yeah. what a, I, what a full circle though like your parents like owning that store and selling buck sort of as the product and then you yeah. end up with buck you know, 30 years later, however long it's been. I mean, I, I love that full circle. And before we get started, we ask every single one of our guests. Now, I will say we asked Buck this and Buck Buck answered with pig. We ask how you describe yourself, how you identify yourself um, sexually or what you'd want to say. How would Rachel describe herself? Buck said Buck said pig, though, yeah, right? He Liz? said pig, yeah. which I you respected. Know, I have, so here's my answer. I have at some point in my life, identified myself as every letter in the LGBT spectrum, except for T. <laughs> so I, I really, <laughs> I just, I, you know, and I feel like even now, sometimes I, I flow between like, I don't, where do I land? I can't quite, my L, LGBT, Q 
cute or I, you know, I go back and forth because, because the terms change, the definitions change, like where I feel in my heart changes, who I'm with changes. You know, it's like this strange thing where I think that the, the identity, um, I haven't let it define me. I've let my life exist and the people I'm attracted to come into my world. And then I've said, okay, well, I guess now I'm bisexual or maybe now I'm a lesbian or maybe now I'm uh, queer, you know, or pansexual. But I, I don't sort of let those labels really define me because in some way it's like, you know, I was just going to be a cat lady. That could have been my identity. <laughs> right. That could have, well, we had, we've had people... Everybody answers that question differently. Yeah. And I really love hearing that that answer changes for you, which I think is not only honest, but super realistic, especially as people, as we grow, as things in our life happen to us, like it makes sense. We don't want to be confined in a box. Yeah. And I'm not the same person Mm. I was at 13 or 12 Uh, or 15, 16, 17. Um, I love you talking about, you know, how your parents kind of reference that they were just the managers of the, um, of the bookshop, a scene that I love is your mom going to uh, the like sex expose and buying product for the store. And she just seems like so over it. (laughs) And she's like, Oh God, like, I guess I'll buy this, but also knows what sells within the store. Right. And I think, you know, that was a really great scene for me to watch because it was, you could see that this really was their profession. This really was their job as opposed to being kind of what some people do, regardless of what their career vertical is, which is this blend of their lifestyle or their interests and their career. But it was really like, ah, oh, shit, like that dildo is not going to sell or like that yeah. lube isn't going to sell. You got to give me this, um, which was great to watch. It's yeah. just the, the dichotomy of it, I think, is really interesting because your parents worked in something that's a very what I would assume is a very open, maybe a little bit edgier type of industry, certainly in the 80s, a little bit more taboo, but kept it from you kids. And then you ended up, of course, you know, fucking having a lover who's a trampa and sort of, you know, really fed into that that brand and that lifestyle. Do you ever talk to your parents about maybe why they hid it from you or maybe weren't as honest about it with you? And do you do you mm. do you get why they didn't do it? Like, were, were there good reasons behind it? Was it a sign of the times or walk us through that? You know, if you remember the 1980s or 90s, like early 90s, being gay, a gay man, when I, when I say gay in that context, I'm really referring to the gay male world. Being in the gay male world was literally equivalent to thinking about AIDS. You just had, it was like AIDS, gay, AIDS, gay. The two things went together. And when I was a kid, you know, AIDS was the coronavirus of the gay world, except that it was shrouded in this like, really fucked up moral like language of like these people deserve it because they're sinners so imagine like coronavirus coupled with a a, a, like a senseless layer of shame that was like okay imagine literally okay people's grandmas are dying well they deserve it and they're evil and they sinned and that's why they're dying so the culture the actual dominant culture was saying that about gay people I mean and this is what's I think really important for the younger generation to remember like our elders existed in a time when being gay was on that same level of almost being a pedophile by today's standards like it was so deeply shamed I mean these people lived with a kind of horror 
in their lives to just present themselves in the world. So places like West Hollywood or New York, like the West Village, you know, they were these little safe havens. And even within, you know, crazy wild New York, people got beat the shit out of them and same in LA. I mean, tons of gay bashing happened all throughout, you know, that time. But um, so the reason they kept it from us was because my parents were in a environment that was shamed by our culture as they were trying to raise kids and, you know, pretend to all the straight parents, although I'm sure there were some gay parents, uh, you know, who were also probably in hiding in some way that, um, you know, oh yeah, don't mind us. We're just, you know, we're in real estate, you know, I think they did what they needed to do to just make sure, uh, we were never affected by the judgment and shame that came down on the gay community. And I think also people really wouldn't have let their kids play with us. They would have felt like, oh, you're in close proximity to people with AIDS, you know, we are in this moment with coronavirus. We don't really know how it's transmitted, although, of course, we do know it's through saliva. But in the early days of the AIDS crisis, people didn't really know. So my parents, in a way, were really out on a limb just by hanging out with people all day long that had AIDS and, you know, coming home. And they could tell that nothing was happening, you know, outside of, you know, when they would communicate, you know. but, But in some ways, it took some bravery in the beginning to just say, okay, you have AIDS. Well, I'll shake your hand. And I can see that that's not going to kill me, but a lot of people in culture. Well, and, didn't I mean, so. yeah. I mean, one of the many moments that I cried while watching your film um, was when, you know, you start showing the story of the, of your parents, friends or colleagues or people that came into the bookstore customers that did have AIDS um, and how their parents reacted to them and how your parents really you know, kind of reacted to these parents not coming, being there by their children as they passed away and how they kind of almost took a parental kind of figure, so to speak, to a lot of different people that were around the store, which I thought was a really beautiful thing to weave in. Another thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about, um, and actually really my wife loved this part about the movie, and Darren, I think you would appreciate this, is your relationship with your mom while you're filming. (laughs) Really, it shows such a pure, like, mother-daughter or mother-child kind of relationship, and I love that you didn't edit out the moments where she's, like, annoyed by you filming, or, you know what I mean? Like, all those, Uh like, kind of great, honest moments. What was it like for you, or rather, what was it like for your siblings and for your parents having you be on the other side of the camera and getting, you know, down to brass tacks and and the story. So, you know, it was, I'm sorry, hold on. Jonna, what do you need? I can't, he's busy right now. Why, what do you need? Can you, can you just wait? I'm so sorry. Having a seven-year-old. Oh my gosh, that's so fine. This is Corona interview moment. This is Corona life. Real life. Um, So... Well, you know, this is what having great producers helps with. And I I will say that there were moments when, you know, we cheated a lot of different things, but like, for instance, there were times when it looked like I was asking the question, but really I was having a producer or my DP do the asking because like, I knew that my mom wouldn't be so forthcoming and be like, and this is, you know, Red Stallion in the film, you know, the, (laughs) all these different, she was, so I was actually hiding on the other side of the aisle with some of that because I just, you know, I could, my mom's much more cagey with me around and that, you know, that dynamic also I played up when we went into the ANME, you know, um, the um, adult novelty market. So there was that. And, you know, this whole like, 
how she how she pretends certain things or says certain things with me around and acts like and then also like yells it out in this way like yeah that paid for your college education you better appreciate all the work we did you know this was not easy making all those videos it's really funny this kind of dynamic that I I loved having but I definitely played certain moments where I knew okay you know what I better ask Cynthia uh, my producer to help and jump in and ask some questions here and I'm gonna walk out of the room because I just know you know it's still that parent-child relationship I just know she's gonna like hold back in certain ways and say things differently so I think a lot of what was captured in the film is this sort of seamless weaving of the material that, um, you know, actually includes everything. It includes me getting yelled at and her also being really forthcoming with my producers. When you were, when you were growing up, how did you sort of find out, you know, what your parents did? And I guess in, in, in the, in the level of depth that they did. And, you know, you were kind of saying that, you know, your parents were kind of protecting you about it, right? Because the stigma of, of being gay and, and AIDS and everything in the eighties and nineties. But I'm just curious how you thought of it in your formidable years. I mean, were you embarrassed by it or are you always very open about it and almost wanted to devote your life to it? I'm just kind of curious about your formidable years and what you thought about it. I love that you said formidable and and not formative, but it was kind of like, I was like, oh, those two words are, but I think you mean formative years and that's so cool. They were formidable though, because I was really, interestingly, I was sort of a, a, a weirdo formidable character. I was, I was a not easy teenager. I was a total, like for me, this is where I say often that being an artist, I think gave me a free pass to like thumb my nose at everything culture asked of me, including my sexuality. It just never even came up, even though I took a girl to prom because I was just going to do everything that was outrageous and crazy. And all my friends were like into drag and, you know, just like they were punks, you know, and, and tripping on acid and drugs and all the other things. So, you know, in a way there was like, more for my parents to even be concerned about than just the queer factor in my life. Um, And so I I think for me though, when my friends like told me that my parents owned this store, it was such a, just a dissonance, a total cognitive dissonance because they were my authority figures who I was totally rebelling against. You know, my mom was just so conservative and so traditional in ways that I thought were you know, completely patriarchal, totally boring, religious, all the things that I just thought I I was opposed to in general, in our culture. And so, um, and then when my friends were like, you know, I I had told them my parents owned Circus of Books and they were like, what? That's a crazy gay porn (laughs) store, Rachel. That's like the coolest place ever. It, It was like, oh my God. Okay. Well, when you meet my parents, you're going to realize like that they're not the people you would expect to run this store. And, you know, and I, I didn't, I never thought of that as like subject matter in and of itself until many, many, many years later. But, you know, as a kid, I just, I just thought it was all like so strange because I had friends who really did have super cool parents that were like artists and dancers and in the film business and musicians and totally queer and but that's what you are by the way you you literally just read off your bio (laughs) (laughs) well there you go I guess I became the cool parent that I wanted to have you did um it's funny and and, you know I don't think my son appreciates that I'm like I'm cool man you know (laughs) but you know it's funny how how old is your son by the way Rachel he's seven (laughs) 
Interesting. Yeah. Okay. No, and, and it's really great, actually. You know, Buck is really great at doing the dad thing. I'm, I'm like so shocked because he's so so much more natural at it than I, than I am. I'm always like, okay, I don't understand how children think. <laughs> and he totally does. So it's interesting, though, because, um, you know, I think having a kid was also like, you know, it's hard. Life sometimes happens to you. You're like, okay, here I am. I have a kid now. It's really fascinating to be in the world of like, you know, pursuing all the things I'm doing with a kid and then you have a child's perspective occasionally and it does sometimes we have moments that are flashbacks to my own childhood you know like Buck's office is filled with things that children aren't supposed to see but in my head I'm like well right what age is appropriate you know like I'm somebody who questions right. a lot of that and and you know basically my feeling as the parent that I am is that like I'm on the other side of like all right you know I think when he starts asking things we won't hide anything from him and you know at some point I was thinking I was gonna have to break it to him that Buck is a trans guy like do you know what that is and you know all these different things or like my brother being gay like do you and Josh is or Jonah is just so already there that like none of the kind of like wake-up calls that I were you know part of maybe people that were my generation had to have like you know, okay, well now you're introduced to what it means to be gay. Like he, he's met so many kids with gay parents that it's just like, yeah, moving on. Duh. I'm bored. You know, <laughs> it's boring. Not yeah, interesting. Right. It's boring. It's not, I saw a meme recently on the internet that said like explaining to a child that two people, regardless of their gender are in love, they can totally get and we all, all these conservative people's people freak out about it. And yet we're like trying to teach them long division and fucking like geometry and shoving that down <laughs> their throats. And they're like, none of this makes sense. We'll never use this. And yet kind of the inherent <laughs> things like love, we, we think that they won't be able to handle. Right. It's so it's stupid. So, it's so <laughs> insane. It is. Has your son seen Circus of Books? No. And I think the other piece of that is he hasn't yet seen it. And I, I just sort of feel like because a, I think he'd be pretty bored as a documentary, you know, going through like the history of West Hollywood, but I, he hasn't yet really been introduced to the idea of porn. And I think that I, I do feel like that comes more in the teenage years. And, and, and at that yeah. point, yeah, he should totally be introduced. Like whenever it's, you know, in his purview to ask about it. And, you know, I don't necessarily, I, I of course don't believe in like sex shaming. I think it's, it's insane and not cool and nobody should do that. Um, but there's just sort of like the, this, what, what I've been told is that when children ask, you can answer. So if he actually asks, like then, you know, I'll answer. But in terms of like showing him the movie, I think, I think that'll be when he has enough wherewithal to understand what porn mm -hmm. means and, and what it really does, which I think would make, perfect sense as a teenager. Yeah. What is your, what is your take in just, you know, being, a, being a person of this world, but also just what, from what it seems to me being like super open, um, and certainly dating, uh, dating a trampa, a trans man. Um, what do you think about the way that cultural culture is today? I mean, like we said, gay mm. is boring, right? Like it's probably not that interesting, but on the other side of it, you kind of have this like woke cancel culture that also feels really exclusionary and also kind of scares me. And Liz and I have talked about it before where it's like, sometimes I feel even as a, as an out lesbian, if I say the wrong thing, you know, I'm being judged on it. Or if I say the wrong trans word or queer word, it, it feels very, or if you ask questions, yeah, I think it feels sometimes. Scary to yeah. me. What What is your reaction to it, and how do you feel about it? Well, I really hope it's 
going to change because I think it's really to be, I have, I have no problem saying, I think it's really abusive behavior and just really wrong. And I think, you know, shame on anyone who, especially within the LGBTQ world is going to shame another person within this community. First off, I mean, I think the baseline thing this everyone in this community needs to have is respect for one's struggle. I mean, there's basically no queer person around that hasn't had a fucking struggle. I mean, I don't care what, you know, it's not easy. And just like, appreciate that, that all of us have had some, some struggle. It's just, you know, we're not part of the dominant narrative in our culture, no matter how hard, you know, you look at a football game and you're like, Oh yeah, those are the people representing, you know, there's cheerleaders. And this, this is what is our culture. And that queer world is over here. And I think it's really important to say, okay, okay, team, we're, we're on team queer. Like we are on team LGBTQ first and foremost. And secondly, yeah, we can totally have debate. Debate is fucking awesome. I mean, what's wrong with debate? But what I've seen happen to Buck is so unbelievable to me. It actually has been really eye-opening because I, I, to be honest, I wasn't really paying all that much attention to the level of hysteria. Um, I, I was not like a super internet crazy person. I was really in my little hole making my film. Um, you know, I was aware of sort of irritating things in any community that, you know, there, there were things that annoyed me, but I didn't see the cyber bullying that was so vitriolic and so hateful. And, and actually like literally if, if Donald Trump is our example of what not to do, we're doing it in this community. Like, wow. And I, and I'm like, when people say, okay, boomer to buck, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? You're using the language that should be reserved for like the actual evil, maniacal baby boomer people that have done serious damage to our world on a hero, an elder in the community who's done pretty much nothing but devote his life to opening up doors for people. And so I find it so shocking that people are so concerned with what label people are using, what, you know, pronoun, what this, what that. And also like, you know, suddenly saying, oh, your word transsexual is off limits. Wow, really? Who the fuck made you the Stasi of the LGBT community? Yeah, yeah literally. I, exactly. Even what within, dictatorship are we living in? <laughs> of course. And I also feel this sense of like, you know, there's always been divisions in the LGBT world. Of course, you know, I, I've heard many times over that, like, you know, there's often divisions within the gay male world and, you know, West Hollywood versus Silver Lake, you know, I mean, if you want to get like really nitty gritty or, you know, um, it's just so it can get really ridiculous, you know, and, and yet there's like, well, what about just actually respecting each other? And, you know, and I used to actually, as somebody that identified for many years as like bisexual, was like always felt so scared in the lesbian space to like being a bisexual woman. Cause it was like a really heavy stamp of shame that went on that and I remember you know I think now in a funny way because we're looking at these younger kids being just so toxic I'm like oh wow you know it's funny I remember being like when being a bi female was like a really like oh that's a no-no you can't ever do that and now it's like those that that whole schism seems so quaint (laughs) you know I identify still I think as bisexual even though quite frankly after 25 episodes of doing this show. I don't even know what to fucking think anymore. Who who even knows? Yeah. But um, I really identify with you discussing that. And I want to just kind of bring that up a little bit more. Uh, you know, I read something recently where 
the younger, we'll just blanket it with LGBTQ plus or queer community kind of said like bisexual was a a term and an identifier that was slowly kind of quote going away. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know why it's fucking going away? It's going away because so many people shamed in particular bisexual, well, no, fuck it. Bisexual men and women as Mm -hmm. either being slutty or, you know, couldn't quote decide. Or, you know, if you were a male, it was like, well, you're really gay and you just don't want to admit that you're fucking gay. You know, it's such a bunch of bullshit. And um, it's interesting to hear you say that just, be, you know, we don't actually, we haven't actually interviewed that many other people that identify or have ever in their past or future identify as bisexual as we know it. So it's interesting to hear you say that because I can really identify with, um, with that. Um, Buck is really active on Twitter. <laughs> I know you mentioned previously that, and you also talk about how active he was kind of on social and the digital age in the beginning of our conversation you kind of went like zero to 100 in the quarantine in terms of, I think people who knew you from a larger Mm. level with the release of circus of books on Netflix. How has it been in the last couple of months getting new fans on, you know, I mean, what, what has it been like for you? Mm. Were you a private kind of more of a private person before and now you're getting pushed out of your shell? Were you, were you not a private person? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, you know, it's so funny, like my relationship to being a persona or a brand in the world was always as a visual artist or musician. And I, you know, when you're an artist, you have all of your art as a mask that you can hide behind. And and I often would perform in these wild costumes and people knew, in fact, future clown, my Instagram handle is, is a, is a character that I did where I would do all these performance art pieces that played around with lip syncing politicians voices. And, you know, I always had, a mask that I could be hiding behind. And, you know, I love to perform. It's part of my um, persona. But like, the thing that was so hard for me was that while I was filming Circus Books, and I had to be in it, I I couldn't perform, I had to be me. And it was like, I, I don't like being me in front of anyone. Like, I'm, I'm just not someone that does this, although I've had to learn the art actually in a funny way that's again something I've learned from Buck because he's so raw and authentic in his public and you know it's a reflection of his private of course who he is is who he is on stage and so I've been able to sort of have like the master class from the master himself on how to do this thing called being real in public and you know it's really interesting because it wasn't what I set out to do I I still am, you know, I think about directing, I'm creating the art. I'm most comfortable in the creator role and I'm comfortable putting myself in a role that I have to perform, but I'm not comfortable like doing what you guys do, like talking to people, being like, Hey, I want to just communicate. I, I'm somebody that's all about the fabrication process. You know, let's write the perfect song lyric. And by the time it's ready to go, boom, like you saw the music video, like I'm all about a really fabricated experience and um, including in the film, you know, it's highly edited and worked out. Um, but the scenes that are the hardest for me to deal with is, you know, of course, I'm like, wow, I actually started crying. Wow. I can't believe I did that. You know, and I really needed other people to tell me, no, that was really great, Rachel. That's powerful. You know, and as opposed to me being like, okay, well, that wasn't what I set out to do. I didn't, you know, I wanted to read these lines and, you know, I'm curious now in 2020, what do you think is the biggest misconception of the porn industry now? 
I mean, here's one thing. I first have to have to just say, I was interviewed for a magazine XBiz, which is the you know biggest like uh, one of the big top uh, porn sites, and I realized in my answers one of the things I was saying because I was speaking to people within that community. So I just was saying how I really felt, but I, I, I have this sense that the rest of the world needs to know it too, which is that people in this industry are horribly mistreated by our culture. Yeah. They're actually treated fine in the industry. It's an industry. I mean, it's actually just a freaking industry. <laughs> like we're in the restaurant industry. We're in the music it's industry. It's a business, right? It's, it's a, a business. business. There's yeah. business talk. You know, when Buck is negotiating something, it's just business. It's not like he's all getting into something crazy and whatever. It's like contracts. It's boring business talk. Like my parents, I mean, it's a business. The, the part that is the art you know, you show up and you do the per performance on stage, but like, that's actually kind of the small piece of the package. There's all of this marketing, there's all these other things. It's really a business. So to be operating in a business, it's first and foremost, not so easy to do. It's really hard. It takes a lot of work. It's, you know, takes stamina. You have to perform. It's, it's like an athletic activity. You have to just to have some sense that like, you know, the rest of us have sex because we want to have sex and we enjoy it. And porn people are, you know, are doing it as like an athletic activity. It's really intense. And they're also highlighting themselves, but they're doing this third thing, which is our community in the world overall just shames the fuck out of people who do this thing. Yeah. So you're going to do this thing. It's already hard. It's already difficult. It's not an easy job. And on top of that, you deal with the stigma and the stigma is so brutal that you, you know, one of the really tragic, um, things that we attended early on when we were dating was a funeral for a woman who is a friend of Buck's who died tragically young. Um, she was like 40 and Buck got up and made a really profound speech at this funeral. And it was a funeral, you know, filled with people in the industry. Ron Jeremy was there, like all the characters, oh, wow. and he said, you know, we need to look out for the women among us because she was at that point feeling like she was washed up no longer, you know, right. valuable. And I think women in particular can get that feeling, but I've seen it also with men too. So the level of shame that just hits these people is really what I have seen firsthand through Buck and his friends that is, is the painful side of it that I, I really hope, you know, maybe films like this can change, you know, people like Buck speaking out can change it. What do you think the psychology is behind the shame of just sex in general? Because it can't be just the AIDS crisis, right? And it can't just be swap and spit and maybe getting, you know, STDs of any sort. Why is there this huge stigma around sex in general? And I'm not just talking about- Don't you about think it's deep-seated religion? Well, I, yeah, I think for sure it's religious-based, but to get like maybe deeper into that, like- you know, when I look at, like, I've gotten emails from all over the world and places like Indonesia. Um, I used to think maybe it was just sort of Judeo-Christian, but it's, it's very built into religious views. And I think, um, you know, Islam is as much shame, sex shaming as, as Judaism or Christianity, but I do think it's the hard line. And I think that, um, baked into, you know, American culture is the Christian puritanical values that like were the foundation yeah. of our culture here. 
and this idea that like if you repress your desires you know like what Jimmy Carter famously said that he had like sin in his heart you know just the word sin and is so baked in a lot of people really all over right to this day feel a sense of shame associated with sex and I was just talking to a woman yesterday who um she said only recently did she stop praying after she masturbated and I was like what she's a cool like oh my god that's giving me all sorts of sinful yeah. imagery right right there. <laughs> and I was like praying how you're so like not someone I would pray she was like you know when you're raised she was raised like super southern christian like baptist um, she mm. said it was just so burned in that she was going to go to hell. And when you're as a kid, right. you know, I can see this as a child, you know, kids really can be indoctrinated and it goes in very deep. And when you are been told you're going to hell, I think it's, you know, fear is just so baked in. And I think that, you know, religions do a, a really good job of baking in fear, um, especially I think Christianity when they really push the idea of hell because it's so scary. So, you know, if you associate that right then and there, it's going to create that sense of shame, I think. Well, yeah. And it's interesting because you show in the film your mom being quite religious and so it's yeah. interesting, you know. So how did she, she was, come to terms well, with yeah, that, I though? Mean, yeah, like. You know, but she was able to kind of, like, move through that. And I think you showed that really beautifully within the film. Like, I mean, I literally could talk to you for 400 hours. <laughs> I feel the same way about Buck. I swear to God, when we all get out of this quarantine and the four of us can hang out, it's going to be, like, oh, yeah. 600 hours. <laughs> um, Just side note. How did you, you made the film, you took it to Outfest. How did like the Ryan Murphy relationship come to be and the Netflix distribution? I, I just yeah. think it's literally kind of like the creme de la creme, I think, situation. <laughs> and you, what, which one, what, let me just first off say, like your film deserved that. Um, and in regards to like the world seeing it through such a huge platform like um, Netflix. And it's no surprise to me that Ryan Murphy is attached, but it would be great. To and un- did anyone reject you just because they didn't want to touch the subject matter? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, question. I mean like oh, you got yeah. creme de la creme deserved, but just curious your process along the way. Oh my God. Well, so it is kind of funny that the process along the way, for sure, when you say the words gay and you say the word porn and you put those two together, uh, a lot of people will just be like, yeah, good luck with that, Rachel. And that was actually my uh, <laughs> first four years, basically. And even before that, you know, people would be like, you know, I had all kinds of things. I mean, I remember even when I was a student at Yale, I showed an early cut, which, you know, it was so interesting. It wasn't I wasn't even thinking it was a cut. I made sort of like a student project where I followed my parents around and I, I showed it to, I took a gay and lesbian studies class and the professor was like so moved by it and thought it was amazing. And then I showed it to a feminist teacher who I just was really curious her take. And she was like, you know, I don't think it's interesting. It's not a good idea. And in fact, you're just exploiting your parents because like they do this thing that clearly you think is, you think it's interesting, but it's not. And I could tell that she had like a feminist hate of porn and there is that. And, you know, it was like, nobody wants to see anything about porn. So put that down, you know? And I had, you know, in a way, like I'm a, I'm a fighter sort of inherently. And so when people say no to me, I have a feeling of like, okay, well, now you just told me what I am going to put forth and fight for. So, you know, the the film was really a product of a lot of people saying, well, good luck with that. You know, I don't really want to touch it and I don't see the commercial potential. And then when I actually started working on it, 
And I had a producer who believed in a bunch of different people that, you know, put in early financing to help. I basically um, got a got a the, the film together and cut it and halfway through the process I was introduced to a sales agent named Josh Braun and his company Submarine and and sort of without realizing it I had met the world's greatest documentary sales agent. I was so busy doing all this stuff. So Do- Josh has sold some of the top documentaries you've heard of. Like he did Crip Camp. He did the, the award-winning. Oh my God, um, I love Crip Camp. Uh, yeah, an American Factory. I mean, it won the Oscar. Josh is the guy who sold all those films. And so Josh saw a sizzle of Circus of Books and immediately said, I love this project. I want to be attached to it. And I was like, cool, great. Let's keep going. And I wasn't like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> Everyone else was like, what? You got Josh Brown? And he, you know, his, his early, um, like, buy-in in the project really, like, did a lot to eventually get the Ryan Murphys to take note because Josh has relationships with all these people. And so Josh sent the film to Ryan. And then when Ryan connected the dots with Josh, me, and um, we had a meeting at Netflix, Ryan just said to me flat out, and again, I think I was too caught up in the world of my own documentary and I came out of the art world so I wasn't like particularly you know like oh my god to Ryan Murphy I was like hi nice to meet you you know what do you think of the film and he's just like I love it I love the story I love your voice he told me and he gave me like some of the greatest compliments that any filmmaker could get and I realized now you know he was really at a pivotal moment where he was looking to acquire the film through Netflix, through his deal in order to be able to turn into a fiction series, which I know is like the golden fucking ticket if you make a documentary, but I was so stressed yeah. out. I was like a week away from Tribeca. All I could think about Wait, was- Wait, is that's what is that what's happening? Well, so that's in the potential. So I don't, it, it, Ryan has acquired the rights to turn it into a TV series. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it's an even bigger cool. deal than just a documentary. Yeah. So Ryan- Oh my God. Yeah. Ryan has the um, total, you know, package. When you get a film that Ryan puts his name on like this, it's sort of like the the end game is that Ryan is likely to do a TV series on your project. So, yeah, you who might. Would you want? Who, wait, hold on. <laughs> wait, who would you want to play you? Do you know? In- I, actually, it's so funny. All the all yeah. my favorite actresses mm-hmm. are like my same age. So I'm like, oh, Natasha Leon, and like I, you know, who I love. All like, who are the quirky, weird Jewish girls? Like, well, I, I have to think of one who'd be like 15 or younger. So I, I'm not as well versed in that, you know, universe. Although I guess like, you know, maybe there's like the Maya Hawk or something. I saw her in Stranger Things. I'm like, mm-hmm. all the like more, much more beautiful, less Jewishy looking girls. <laughs> <laughs> they always have that. That's- fun i was always like really impressed when um when like a lot what's the girl alana glazer i'm like oh wow like super jewish looking girls are like coming up in the world it's so cool because you always have um you know the i i guess as a as a as a super jewish looking girl like you notice that people who are cast don't don't have the 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 jew nose and everything it's it's so funny but um (laughs) no i love the the world of actresses right now and actors and you know i think of also my next projects that I'm working on are um, 
you know, connected to things that I want to really put together myself in fiction as well. So it's interesting when you look at like Joel Soloway or Lena Dunham and the, the, the artists that have come about now, who I think of like as almost like real auteurs in television land, you know, it's like that wasn't there when I, I left LA in 2001 because it was just like boring. Media was not interesting, super straight, super white, super you know, like shows like Friends, you know, were maybe as edgy as I I would see in the mainstream and queer characters were always just like kind of a ridiculous friend, you know, or somebody that was not taken seriously. So I feel like I've landed in the moment of like interesting television content in LA. And so those are my mentors right now. I'm meeting all these people and I'm like so excited to be learning the craft of storytelling when there's actually the right stories that I want to tell, you know, Hollywood was not a place I had any thought for myself, you know, that I would be in it. But, you know, look at, look at transparent, like people want to hear those stories and pose, you know, it's like, it feels like the right time for me to be in this media world. I love Pose. I'm actually curious because I imagine that the people that are downloading or watching Circus of Books are probably already pretty open in general, or Mm. at least curious about, you know, the industry to be fair, but two part question for you. Anyone that's going to watch Circus of Books, no matter what their background or age or gender, what do you hope that they take from it? And then the second part of that, after you made Circus of Books, which is really your life, what did you learn? Hmm. Really? Yeah, great Darren. question. Okay. I yeah. really okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I host a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys are really great at this. It's by the way, kudos to you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I've done a few of them and you know, it's, it's nice when, when the flow is there. Um, yeah, well, two, two things, you know, I really feel the sense that, you know, I set out to make a film that actually put gay porn into the historical record as the thing that it needed to be revealed to the world, which is that first off, the shame around porn is not uh, a reality. Porn is actually like a therapeutic device. I I see it in the same exact um, category as any other therapeutic healing art. And yeah, it's degraded and it's all this other stuff. And, And I get it. It's like, you know, it's, it's been shamed for so many years, but it was something different for the gay community. And I really felt the sense that, you know, meeting all the people in the gay porn world, they were like heroic, incredibly brave people who did this work. I mean, I I love how much appreciation you have for Buck because he's really like one of the only trans porn creators. So he, he did exactly that same thing in the space where there was absolutely nobody, but people in gay porn were doing the exact same thing as gay people. And wow, you know, our society was just saying no to that. And our, you know, so I look at, I look at um, the film as a way to kind of hopefully open people's eyes to a different way to think about what porn meant for the gay community. And I've now learned that it has done that. But the second piece of it is that it is a story about my mom and becoming, you know, going from this like really biblically conservative, horrible, just classic, you know, gay shaming place to actually being totally an activist and rethinking the Bible. And I think, you know, I didn't have time to explore exactly how she reworked her biblical uh, reading, but you can just see in the film that she found a way through it and she found a support group. And, you know, we still live in a world filled with people who, you know, write to me and say, you know, I wish my mom had come around. She never did. 
the words that your mom spoke were the same words my mom spoke, but I never got the other side of it. You know, there was no redemption. And so many people's parents go to their grave, never appreciating their children. And so for me, it's this really like parent child story that also I feel like my dad in his loving embrace of Josh in the film just shows, you know, what it is to be a great like the gift of parental love was so easy for him. And I think in a way my parents are a study in contrast that a lot of people can absorb. And so that's what I hope is the takeaway. And I think for me, what I've learned the most from this is actually, I think what we have gotten back to in like one of your early questions about me as an artist, you know, I always set out to be an artist. It was like my, I was driven into this thing that, you know, people like Frida Kahlo, like the real mavericks of the, you know, just weirdos. Like that was who I emulated myself to be. I, I wanted to be one of those people who was just a pure artist. And I really, in a way, rejected all of society. I mean, I rejected the LGBT world as much as any other world. I, I, I don't like rules. I've always like, you know, if you're going to tell me what to do, I don't care who you are. I, I just, I'm somebody who's always been a kind of countercultural person. And what I've come to recognize having made the film and having communicated with so many people is that I, I pulled myself out of the little art, of, you know, which I think of as a kind of an obnoxious art bubble now. <laughs> like, actually, you know, I was in a tiny world that was pretty elite and elitist. And now I'm like talking to people who I really find amazing and fascinating. And I, I have so much empathy and interest in all of the different people in the real world. You know, I, I see that I, Um, sealed myself off in a place that was, you know, maybe the most absorbing of all the things that you can be, you know, the arts is tends to be the most fringy place. So, you know, you can be as weird as you want in the arts, but I actually recognize that I, I really love communicating with people that aren't necessarily setting out to be the weirdest person on the planet. And, you know, I really enjoy um, just talking to people and finding that I've made something that has this level of an impact. So that's, that's what has been my takeaway is that I've, I've learned to appreciate the, the mainstream and the, the wider world that I wasn't a part I of. I call them the gen pop. Okay. I call them the gen Philistines, pop. if okay. you will. Yeah. Yes. The lay people. The yes. Gen pop. Well, yeah. Listen, yeah, yeah, the gen pop. I'm funny. like, ooh, gen pop. But no, you know, yeah. That's funny, huh? <laughs> we are so like thrilled and honored to have you on the show. Awesome. I can't. It's been a long time coming, obviously yeah. a few months. I can't wait to see the stories that you develop next. I I mean, I can't even imagine what they're going to be. And I'm just so thrilled to. I have, I just thought oh. of one final oh, question before I let you go. Cause, up, cause I know, I know but I, I, I just have a really quick question and okay. I don't know if this is a larger issue, but let's say your seven-year-old son was into religion and he was curious about Christianity or Islam or Judaism or whatever it is. How would you navigate that as someone who, um, thinks that religion has really been a detriment to, you know, not only maybe how, how you grew up or, or maybe even your mom uh, coming to terms with it. How are you going to deal with, with religion in general? Well, you know, it has come up actually. I've had to oh, recognize wow. that. And in fact, what's really interesting is I do think 
I'm Jewish. And in a way, when you're Jewish, you don't have the luxury of just saying like, well, fuck it. I'm not Jewish anymore. You actually are like, it's burned in, you know, the Holocaust happened to many people that were not religious. And I'm Jewish too. Oh, okay, yeah. Cool. It's, right. it's a guilt. It's a level of guilt yeah. there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm 5% 23 and you told me. I think there everyone's a little bit Jewish if you live in New York, right? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, but I will say that it, it has come up because I've actually recognized the beauty of religions too. And that I recognize the beauty in Judaism as like, you know, wow, this, this freaking amazing community survived at all odds. Like we should have been wiped out many years ago, many times over. It's like shocking that Jews exist at all. So I'm like, what is it here that like are the traditions that are the ones, you know, I now just say, okay, we can pick and choose. There are some that Hanukkah, I love the candles, you know, Shabbat. I like these things. And, you know, Buck loves Shabbat. He loves all these different, you know. The, yeah, he told us. He does. He, he loves it. Shabbat. Yeah, he yes. loves Shabbat, he told us. No, and it's funny because I, I did spend many, many, many years eye rolling and hating on it. And, you know, I couldn't stand going to synagogue. And it was tied to a patriarchal type of thinking and horrible like stuff that I just thought was bad and you know we we now actually attend a synagogue where the, there's a, a gay rabbi a, a female gay female rabbi and I just feel like the sense of like okay you know what if the religion can can absorb a, a difference and a change I'm fine with all of them as long as you know I've, I've taught Jonah my son's name is Jonah that like there's this you know, you can say what's true for the Bible. That's actually, he, he claimed that because one day he was asking me something. He's like, did, did this really happen that the earth was made in seven days? How? And I said, no, it's not really the case. And he said to me, he's like, oh, I get it. So it's like, it's true for the Bible, but it's not true in real life. Just like a movie, you know, something's true wow. yes. in the movie, but it's not true in real life, like watching a Marvel movie. And I said, exactly. So you can like, relate those two things and yeah. you know and it was a really cool thing you know he's given me a lot of ideas and so I've found that I'm stumbling my way through it believe me and I you know but if, if say he wanted to become like a hard-lined right-wing religious person that was you know maybe a Republican. I don't know. I would under my, you know, something. I know we all have oh. to like whisper. Yeah, right. would be, oh my no, God. I would say that might yeah. be the hardest challenge for me. I mean, <laughs> that, yeah, more politically minded rather than yeah, religiously I mean, and, and minded. Weirdly is what you're enough, right. Yeah. Look at Stephen Miller. He came from a actually very liberal, um, left-wing progressive, like reformed Jewish family. And look at him now. I mean, it, it's a nightmare for that family. What happened to Stephen Miller? And it's like, yikes, that could happen, yeah. you know, to any, it's like, it's a funny thing that they're like, if that's the worst nightmare that could happen to any of us, um, you become a Trump supporting right-wing bigot. Yeah, that would be, you know, but so I, I do feel like the values that I have and that Buck has that we're bringing to his life. And, you know, my parents too are a big part of his life, you know, will be his values, hopefully. So, all right. Well, we can't wait to interview Jonah for this podcast. <laughs> 20 years. Uh, awesome. <laughs> Find out at, maybe by eight, he'll know whether or not scissoring isn't a thing. But <laughs> Rachel, it was an honor to talk to you. Circus of Books you is too. absolutely incredible. Anyone can find it on Netflix. Yeah. And Instagram is Future Clowns. So I hope you never change that name. Yeah, that's pretty oh, fucking so dope. I'm so glad you like yeah. that. Okay, perfect. It might be my moniker if, uh, as a musician if there's other Rachel Masons out there for the song. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I love, love it. it. And actually, everyone, where can everybody find your 
um, music. Well, everything, but also that music video. Yeah, no, I people love it. the music and the music video. Well, you can just go into YouTube, Rachel Mason, Give You Everything is the name of the song. And that's the idea with Circus of Books and the stores that, you know, it was a store that was there to give you everything. And so I wrote the song as an homage to it. Um, so they can look on Spotify, Give You Everything, and with my name, Rachel Mason. Well, Rachel, you gave us everything today. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so you much for coming great. on. And Thanks I'll, so much. I'm glad you got to say hi to Buck for a second. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> thanks, right. Rachel. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. See you next Tuesday.